For the past couple of weeks, our letter has had us reflecting on the way that we live out the gospel as Christ's people. You know, how the truth and certainty of the gospel that saved us now starts to bring us to maturity in Christ. In other words, what we've been doing is really exploring the details of what is, you know, kind of part two of the purpose statement that Paul and his co-workers in ministry gave us back in chapter 1 and verse 28. Why do they do what they do? Well, they told us in Colossians 1, verse 28, part B, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Chapter 3 that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks has been to serve that purpose in us, to bring us to maturity in Christ by way of the gospel life that we've been called into. Now in chapter 4, the letter takes us back into the first part of Paul's purpose statement in, in ministry. In chapter 1 and verse 28, Part A, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Chapter 4 now starts to look into the gospel mission. Is the gospel still going to those who haven't yet heard about Jesus and therefore desperately need to, so that they too can be saved and then brought to maturity in Christ with us? And it might seem as if it's, I don't know, reverse order, I guess, for, for the letter to cover the maturity bit first and, and, and then now the mission bit second. But in actual fact, it's more of a cycle. The gospel mission saves people into the new gospel life, but so too the gospel life then flows back out again and onwards from the hearts of maturing Christians into gospel mission. It it's just a natural thing for our hearts to fill up and overflow in love for others as the truth of our own salvation becomes clearer and stronger to our minds and as we take hold of our joy more and more, it, it's just natural that the gospel overflows and continues to go out to others and others. And not only is this the purpose statement for Paul and his co-workers back then, but so too it is the vision statement for our own church here today, here at New City Prezi. It's, it's, it's written on those signs out in the car park there. It's on page one, the front and centre of the Book of Church on the back table up there, and, and it's on the top of your church bulletin every week. Our vision is to present Christ to everyone and to present everyone mature in Christ. And we get that vision from Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. So as this letter comes full circle on, on Paul's ministry team's objectives, so too it brings us back to think about our whole vision statement too. It's, it's a chance for us to reflect on, on this part of it, how we can take Christ to those around us. And as we look at this short paragraph, there's something very beautiful and concise about the structure of this, this little paragraph that we've opened up today from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through to church, uh, verse 6. It's such a short little text, and yet there's so much packed in here. And I, I think it would be good if we look at it from a few different angles that are all kind of interrelated. First of all, we might just read it as a paragraph as it is. We might see verse 2 as kind of just functioning a bit like a segue, I suppose, taking us from where we were last week, uh, the humble posture of the gospel life in chapter 3, and bringing us now into some short requests for the church as it goes about it's fellowship, you know, further instructions, as our ESV so loosely titles this section. <laughs> and read that way, the paragraph, I guess, reads more like loosely connected bullet points, doesn't it? I mean, verse 2, don't forget to pray about everything. Verses 3 and 4, pray for us too while you're at it, as we keep doing what we do. 
And verse 5 and 6, think about how you go about your life and conduct uh, in regard to those outside the church. On the other hand, those, those loose connections between those three points might be, they might be tighter than we think. It, it could be that, that the call to prayer in verse 2 is specifically connected to the church's gospel mission at the end in verses 5 and 6 with the more typical view that we tend to have of of mission as, as you know being an external kind of thing by uh, dedicated gospel workers like Paul or whatever with that kind of sandwiched into the middle of that broader thought about the church's mission it's a bit like one of those mad magazine fold-ins if you're familiar with mad fold-ins you know so if we could if we could somehow fold our page to to put uh, the the typical external view of mission that we have captured in verse three and four just just put that out of the picture for a second. Verse two would actually go with verses five and six, and 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 would just flow straight through, showing us, well, the bigger picture around that simplistic view we tend to have. The whole church is part and parcel of Jesus's gospel mission. And then if we would open the page back up again and and, and just read the paragraph uh, through uh, the whole way that we'd probably better see the whole picture as we should see the whole picture, perfectly woven together. Yes, on the one hand, dedicated ministry workers out there on gospel mission, but so too, of course, the whole church framing that and, and fundamentally part of that gospel mission as well. And each perspective busy with the gospel mission in their own particular ways, but so too they both fit in together into the one and the same picture the glorious gospel mission of Jesus Christ. And then a third way we could scan through this short paragraph is to see it actually a bit more mechanically, broken down into uh, more logical parts, I guess, because if you stare at the page long enough, you, you slowly start to see that there, there are actually two big themes repeated uh, through this paragraph as 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 basic needs of the gospel mission that we're talking about, whether it's the gospel mission from the perspective of those you know, dedicated ministry workers like Paul and, and so on in verse 3 and 4, or, or the gospel mission from the perspective of the, the church generally in, in verses 5 and 6. There are two basic things set out in this paragraph that are, that are seemingly needed for this gospel mission. The first need is prayer as we see repeated through the first verse and a half or so, prayer, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. Prayer is needed. That's the first thing. We're called to prayer. Without Jesus, nothing of this gospel mission will happen. So, so pray for the whole church and, and pray too for those dedicated gospel workers out there. Uh, pray, pray, pray. The second need of this gospel mission is speech. Speech, which, which then flows out as a theme in the rest of the paragraph. Pray that God may open a door for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison Pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, Paul says. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What does the gospel mission require of us as as Jesus' hands and feet, as it were? Prayer and the word. So we should pray for the church, verse 2. We should pray for the gospel workers out there as well, verse 3. And those gospel workers out there, well, then they should speak the word clearly, verse 4. And we too, back at the level of the whole church, we should be speaking, verse 5 and 6. Prayer and the word. The gospel mission of Jesus. Whatever way we like to read this section, these further instructions, there's a few very important things we therefore need to take on board here from this text. First of all, we must learn from this this scripture that those dedicated gospel workers out there, like like Paul and Timothy and so on back then, or or our friends today who who we know who have been sent out right now, for all their calling and their empowerment by the Lord Jesus, these these people nonetheless need our prayer. We don't often think about that because these people just seem so in the zone, you know, they're just in the gospel zone. They're constantly going from one step to the next in the name of the Lord Jesus, it seems. And and yet all the way they are actually being opposed by the enemy and they need our prayer. And they're being set back by all all, all the typical pressures of life that any one of us would face, and and most of the time even more than we face. They need finance, of course, but so too they need our prayer. And not just for their own needs and safety and so on, but so too for their work to actually yield fruit. Because nothing is going to happen unless the Holy Spirit uses their efforts to take the word of Jesus that they do speak and plant it into people's hearts and make them come alive with it. And then grow them, of course, to maturity in Christ. The labourers can labour all day long, but but unless the Lord opens the door, they labour in vain. So there's one thing we must take away from this text. Rather than be entirely preoccupied about our own Christian walk, we should also be thoughtful and mindful to pray for those who are who are out in the world sharing the gospel in, in such a dedicated way like that, day in, day out. You know, those workers. We need to find time for those workers in our prayers and, and keep them in our prayers that God will use their work for his gospel mission. But then, at the same time, we must also see from this scripture that that we too are a part of Jesus's gospel mission. While dedicated ministry workers like like Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, whom we've been reading about along the way, they're a key part of Jesus's gospel mission, so too the church itself, established on the word, will also become part of that same gospel mission. In other words, it's not just our external mission partners that we have here today, that we support and we pray for and so on. As vital as it is for us to do that, it's not just that as the scope and scale of the gospel because so too we are on mission ourselves. It's just part and parcel of being Jesus' church. He reaches out to still more people and more people through our witness of him. 
And so we should be prayerful for that. And we should think about how we might go about that. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Well, that should challenge us away from just being complacent about this, from just a careless or carefree approach to the gospel mission. We need to be switched on to this. Let your speech always be gracious. Well, that should keep us from adopting a harsh or, or a blunt or a condescending or judgmental tone as we do speak out and reach out to people. And to be seasoned with salt should remind us that all the conversation in the world is ultimately just bland stodge. If we never bring up the one thing that people need to hear, that the singular distinctive in all of this, the gospel the gospel is the only way the world will even differentiate our mission from, from everything else filling up their lives. The gospel is the only way that they can be saved. And these things here in, in this scripture are put here before the church to do. And so as I say, our church has adopted the same ministry purpose that, that Paul set out for his team in chapter 1 verse 28. We too as a church want to present Christ to everyone and everyone mature in Christ. And so too, we each in our own individual lives are to take on this same call, right? I mean, this is just a Christian thing. To be mindful all the time of, of the great need to bring this only hope of Christ to, to those around us. And so that's the second thing we should take on from this short text. Rather than just settling into the 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 popular Christian mindset of thinking of mission as something that happens out there done by those guys, we need instead to see our place in it. There are people everywhere who are perishing without this only name by which they can be saved. And we need to make the most of the time in our hands with gracious speech about the only way into eternal life in Jesus Christ. We know how we ought to answer people in regard to their eternal need. A third thing this text has thereby quietly put in front of us through all this is the recipe for that gospel mission. We often marvel at those dedicated gospel workers and, and wonder how they do what they do. Oh, man. And so too, then, we all too easily get overwhelmed at the thought of, of how we could do gospel outreach ourselves in our own lives. But on both counts, that's because we just overthink everything. We just overthink everything. The, the text here is patently simple, isn't it, in the steps that it does put in front of us to follow in this, isn't it? What does the gospel mission actually require of us? Prayer. Pray that God would open doors as we go about this. Not just to open prison doors for people like Paul, and new places for those people to go, but so too that he would open the doors of people's hearts everywhere to let the, the gospel message land and, and have its way with people one way or the other. We don't need to learn how to unlock doors or pick locks or break down hard hearts. We simply open our mouths and pray. And then all that's required is that we just Speak. 
thinking about how we engage with others, being prepared to speak about Jesus in a gracious way with people. We don't need to take a theology degree or or, or a course in Christian apologetics. We simply open our mouths and speak. And if we pray and continue steadfastly in prayer, and if we speak and with a focus on Jesus, then, then we should take full confidence that we have served our Lord in his gospel mission and that he will use it to his end. The outcome is always his. Ours is not to worry about that. But if we are worried about what to say, then then really we just need to go back and reflect again on chapters 1 and 2. I mean, here, here is the gospel in, in long form. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, through whom and for whom everything was created. And we are all naturally sinful, but God is in the business of transferring people from that state of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, Jesus. The means of that transfer is through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sin, by which the whole record of our sin debt has now been cancelled. And so if we just receive that offering that God put forward to pay for our sin, Christ on the cross, then then we will be presented holy and blameless before him. He has made peace with us by reconciling us to him through his blood. That's chapters 1 and 2. That's a long form sort of a paraphrase of that, but, but, but if you want it in short form, Christ crucified. Christ crucified. That's the gospel we need to share with people. That's what we must speak. Christ crucified. Jesus died for our sin. If we know that much, we know all we need to know to be able to speak life to people. We, we say those words, Christ crucified, and we pray that God would use those two words, and, and then we speak them. And then we pray, and then we speak them. If we're not quite sure how to go about saying that, then, then really the important thing is to go back and read through chapter 3 and, and now 4 again, I'd say. Here is how we should speak that simple gospel truth with compassionate hearts with kindness, with humility, meekness, and instruction and song and thankfulness and clarity and grace and salt. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How to answer each person? Must we have a perfectly thought-out logical structure and and an exact cutting answer for each person? Is that what this means? No. If we just speak the gospel of grace in the only name of salvation in Jesus Christ, then we are already answering each person how we ought to answer them. Make sure to put the salt into the conversation. There's nothing else that's going to save people but the name of Jesus Christ who died for their sin. If they struggle to understand that, then then we pray for God to open the door for those words. If we're honest, 
We probably tune out to the gospel mission most of the time in our Christian life. But the language here is is about being continuous, steadfast, watchful, thankful, wise, gracious, on point and on mission as a basic mindset. This is just a, a basic Christian posture flowing out of the wonderful abundance of grace that God has lavished on us. We naturally overflow wanting the same for those around us. The mission out there is vital. It's vital and we must get behind it in prayer. But so too, Jesus will bring people into your path that the workers out there aren't going to reach. But that's why Jesus is bringing them to you. Even now, as you think through this short text, the Holy Spirit may well have been putting someone on your heart who, who has been coming to you and hanging out with you. And, and perhaps that person has been trying to figure out how to get you to talk to them again about Jesus Christ. They, they know you know something or, or they caught a sense of it once or twice, but, but you haven't used that salt in, in any of your conversations for a while. Maybe you did once, but... But they weren't ready for that. And now you've closed down on that and and they don't know how to get you to bring it up again. It's funny to think, isn't it? I mean, we we just overthink ourselves into an absolute not wondering how, how or when to bring the conversation around to Jesus again with these people. But sometimes they're sitting there in the very same knot, wondering how to get us to talk about Jesus again. And we must seem so oblivious. Friends, to be seasoned with salt is to be prepared to talk about Christ crucified. Rather than just, I don't know, cricket or COVID or whatever, the Holy Spirit doesn't keep putting people in front of us to chat about the same old bland blah, blah, blah. We know how to bring grace and salt into their lives. And by the simple word of the gospel, all the humble ministry workers out there and And humble little old you and I will be used mightily by God for this same gospel mission. So we must be constant in in turning it all over to him in prayer. So how about I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short scripture today and, and the gospel mission folded into it. We pray for our friends who who have dedicated their working lives to this gospel mission. And specifically, Father, we thank you for opening doors for that one family we know and love who who made it to Europe last year, despite all the, the chaos around COVID and all that stuff. Father, you opened doors and now they're there. We pray now that you would open doors in hearts there. Open doors in people's hearts around them for your gospel to take root through their efforts. Bless that ministry family, Lord Jesus, in the work they're doing. Keep them faithful to their task to speak this word of truth. Father, we pray too specifically for for another family that we met in December and who we now seek to support as a church. Father, they still need about half of the funding required to, to go to the harvest field that you have laid out in front of them. So, Father, we pray that you would stir hearts all across Perth here for your gospel mission to be carried out through them. And, and Father, we pray that they would reach their funding and, and that you would just have them go. 
Father, we know that they are going to a very dangerous place. So watch over them, Lord Jesus, and go with them as you promised. Father, for our own hand in your gospel mission, we also pray. As a church family, you have brought us together in in the middle of a vast and, and very lively area, growing faster than any other region in this state, but, but without sufficient churches at the moment even to, to hold out the one hope of true life in Jesus Christ. We pray, therefore, that you would strengthen us in the call upon us. Help us to be faithful to this gospel mission in front of us, that we should present Christ to everyone and everyone mature in Christ. And we pray, therefore, that you would soften hard hearts and that you would break into weary lives with with a desire to be connected to you, and that you would teach us, Lord, how we can play a hand in that work you're doing for your glory and for the eternal well-being of these people around us. So too, Father, for each one of us in our own circles, we pray that you would give us the courage to speak and the simple-mindedness to just speak what we do know, that Christ died for our sin, so that we would make the most of every opportunity with those around us, Lord. Switch us on to your gospel mission. Help us to remember our distinctive every step of the way as as the only gospel that can save in a world without any other hope. Please continue to bring people into our paths who need to hear that gospel truth and teach us to pray and speak and then trust you with everything. And in all that we do, may we glorify the name of Jesus, and in his name we do pray these things. Amen.